The most common question that I get for Truth Currents comes from conservatives in general, but Christians in particular. They say, how did we actually get here? How did we come to be in the place where we are today as a culture? And the idea behind the question is, can you show me the rational process that led us to believe some of the nonsense that is now touted as normal and, and ordinary? Well, I wanna share with you today what the Bible has to say about that, and then I wanna show you, I wanna illustrate how that process has unfolded. That's what we're gonna talk about today on Truth Currents. When you look at the Word of God, in Romans chapter one, there are some verses where the Apostle Paul tells us about this process of people suppressing the truth about God, actually denying what they know in their hearts to be true, and that as a result, God allowed them to move in that direction and as an end result, become actually nonsensical in the way they think. These are the verses. Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 21, it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28 then says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. So the biblical response is, God has allowed this sort of nonsensical thought process to become dominant in our culture as a result of the conscious decision of, of this generation to suppress the truth about God that was planted in their hearts. We're hardwired to worship. We're hardwired to know that there's a God and we're separated from him by sin. But by denying that, by rejecting the spiritual aspect of the human condition, we've suppressed what's true. And so God said, well, I'll just let you go down that road. That's the biblical explanation. But what does that actually look like? Well, let me show you. Miriam, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary uh, in response to this raging question of our day, what is a woman, has now published in their latest edition a definition of, of woman that is that simply says uh, a woman is a person whose gender identity is female. Okay, well, then what's the definition for gender identity? Well, Merriam-Webster is going to help us there. Gender identity is a person's internal sense of being male, female, some combination of male and female, or neither male nor female. All right, hold on. Um, if you are a good listener, if you're an astute reader, um, that raises the question, okay, so what is this male and female gender identity that we're talking about here? Well. Here again, the dictionary offers some help. Male, they define, is having a gender identity that is the opposite of female, while female is having a gender identity that is opposite of male. Did you catch it? See, here's where the game is up. We go round and round and round, 
And where this stops, nobody really knows because we haven't actually defined any word in the conversation. At this point, we don't have a proper definition. We simply have a self-referential circular piece of nonsense. It is what it is, what it is, what it is, what it is. A dictionary is supposed to give definitions. That's not what's happening here. The dictionary has now taken uh, words like girl, boy, male, and female, and it is unable to give a clear and concise explanation of what that is, which sort of proves the point that we've lost our way. A lot of contemporary identity politics is built on rhetoric without substance. And the way that we determine what words mean today is based on volume. Who can shout the loudest and who can censor the other side the most effectively? Well, Here's the problem with the whole gender debate. There's no coherent scientific evidence that supports these newfound social convictions about male and female. But the cloak of science is utilized to sort of imply credibility for these conversations. We've seen this game before. Let me show you somewhere else where it's happened. Naturalistic evolution. According to a Pew Research Center poll, the generation between the ages of 18 and 29 are disproportionately represented today among those who have disconnected entirely from faith and are known as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. That is, they are atheistic, agnostic, or religiously unaffiliated. They're none. They don't identify with any uh, any faith category in the poll. The overwhelming explanation for their disconnect is their belief that science has made religion irrelevant. It's no longer necessary to explain the reality of human existence. Surprisingly, however, what we find when we go and actually look at science, it's that science itself not only doesn't deny the truths of Christianity in particular, but what recent discoveries in the areas of the natural sciences have actually begun to push scientists back closer to the testimony of Scripture and to the faith that has traditionally been the undergirding structure of Western civilization. Let me give you some examples. While atheists love to tell us that science has disproved religion, the fact of the matter is that books by Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, Bill Nye, Michael Shermer, and the late Stephen Hawking, all arguing that science has displaced God, uh, are now becoming themselves obsolete because they are, there's a major disconnect between the, the ideology of atheism and what science is discovering. Over the last few decades, Important scientific discoveries have dramatically challenged this scientific-based atheism and moved science in the direction of a more God-friendly story. In the first place, scientists have discovered that the universe, the physical universe, actually had a beginning. There was a starting point. This finding has been proven by observational astronomy and theoretical physics. 
and it contradicts the traditional atheistic position that long portrayed the universe as eternal and self-existent. Therefore, because the universe had always been, there was no need for any part of the story to be attributed to a creator or a divine being who, who was behind the story. Uh, men like Arno Penzias, a Nobel laureate, have, have made these comments. He says in one article that I researched, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses and the Bible as a whole. In other words, what science is discovering about the universe fits, aligns with the creation story in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis. Well, secondly, discoveries from physics about the structure of the universe also are now beginning to reinforce a theistic conclusion. Since the 1960s, physicists have determined that the fundamental physical laws and the parameters of our universe are finely tuned against all odds. In other words, they are the universe is built specifically in a way so that it is capable of hosting life. And the parameters, the boundaries of measurable realities are so narrow that the odds of this happening accidentally are literally so astronomical as to not be able to be recorded as a single number. The odds are fantastically bizarre that the angle of the earth and the distance from the sun and the gravitational pull of the, of the moon and the protection of the, uh, of the belt of, of, of bodies and planets that surround our earth and protect us from most of the fallout of, of, of rocks and things that fly through, the, through, the, through space. All of it is so precisely tuned that it implies there must be a designer. Physicists are concluding that this improbable fine-tuning leads us to believe there's a cosmic fine-tuner, a designer. In fact, Cambridge astrophysicist Sir Fred Hoyle says, a common-sense interpretation of the data suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics to make life possible. Third, molecular biology has revealed the presence in living cells of an exquisite world of informational nanotechnology. In other words, what we've discovered about DNA and RNA, those tiny, intricately constructed molecular machines, vastly ex exceeds anything we've been able to produce or really even ima imagine. Even Richard Dawkins has acknowledged that the machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like, implying that there must be the activity of a master programmer somewhere because information theory precludes the possibility of this kind of complexity happening by chance. We don't live in a blind, pitiless, indifferent universe. What we're discovering is there is an intelligent designer behind all of this. So if science is moving in the direction of faith, how do we explain where we are? Well, remember the Bible says that God gave us over to delusions in our thinking because those aspects of what was true, we didn't just ignore them, we've actively suppressed them. 
Let me tell you what's at the end of that road. Several studies that have been produced in recent years uh, on the relationship between mental and physical health in relation to political ideology have identified a significant gap between people who are on the political right of the, of the spectrum and those who, those who are called conservatives versus those who are on the political left of the spectrum who we call liberals or on the extreme version we call progressives. Over two decades of research has now been released that shows that left-wingers or extreme liberals tend by outrageous numbers to more often suffer from mental illness than conservatives. Now, the question becomes, okay, why, how do we explain the numbers? Well, conservatives, for one thing, tend to be more grounded in reality than liberals. They're less likely to be neurotic or psychotic they are healthier and happier than their counterparts on the left. This is not my opinion. These are the conclusions of decades of research that are just now being released. Liberalism has been found to be associated with higher levels of neuroticism, anxiety, and emotional instability, while conservatives are more likely to be conscientious, self-disciplined, and stable. The American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, their Bible of Mental Diseases, if you will, defines psychotic individuals as those who have distorted thinking and grossly disorganized behavior. In other words, people with mental illness are often people who have thought processes who are irrational and disordered. Again, the Pew Research Center published a survey within the last couple of years showing statistically that white liberals are more likely to be diagnosed with mental health conditions compared to their moderate and conservative peers. And white liberals, more than any other racial group, uh, are marked by uh, the diagnoses of mental health. White liberal young women between 18 and 29 have the highest percentage with a whopping 56% suffering from some mental instability. 56% of young white liberal women versus 27% of young white conservative women. 34% of young white liberal men versus only 16% of young conservative men. The study concludes that the difference in well-being was due to political ideology rather than demographics or income or education. In other words, these people are gathering together with others of, with irrational and disorganized thought processes, and they tend to gravitate toward the positions in our culture that are most progressive. Duke University, not a conservative bastion, has showed in, in research recently released that liberals are more likely to experience depression than conservatives, and they also have higher rates of suicide attempts as well. What does this mean? The question is, do liberals have mental illness because of what they believe about politics, or do those who have mental illness gravitate to this particular set of beliefs? That's still to be determined. 
But at the end of the day, the issue is there is a certain side of the political debate that is marked by people who have thought processes so out of the ordinary, out of the norm for human beings that the American Psychiatric Association considers them to be mentally ill. Well, how do we explain that? Well, the Bible's already given us that answer. The conscious suppression of what is hardwired in human beings, the acknowledgement of the existence of God and our accountability to stand before Him in responsibility for our sin, the, con the, the, the purposeful and intentional suppression of that truth has led us to the place where God has said, okay, you don't want to believe what's true, you can now believe what's untrue. You can stake your life on nonsense. And as a culture, as the numbers of those who have rejected what is true are growing, the kinds of positions that make no rational sense are now beginning to dominate the day. What's the solution? Well, the Bible has that too. The Bible doesn't merely diagnose the problem. It outlines the solution. The solution is in Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, the answer is given here. It simply says in verse 22, It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because of God's merciful restraint. He let the sins previously committed go unpunished for the demonstration of His righteousness at the present time. You see, here's the answer. Let me put that in easy language for you. We are where we are because we have rejected what we were hardwired to understand about God. God has allowed our minds to chase after vapors and to believe nonsense. And as always, the solution is to find our way back to Jesus Christ, who straightens out our thinking, who makes us to be better than we were, who cleans us up, who makes us a new creation and presents us for the first time as acceptable in the presence of the God from whom we've been separated because of our sins. Christians, do not be afraid to talk to people about Jesus because I don't care what the topic is, I don't care what the debate is, it's true. Now more than ever, Jesus is still the answer. Let those who know that, who are grounded in that reality, let us not be afraid to engage those who are operating in the nonsense world because they've suppressed the truth. Pray for those that you know, those family members that you struggle with, because what they need is not uh, for us to accommodate their bizarre beliefs, for society to just pretend that men are women and women are men. What they need is for somebody to be brave enough and bold enough 
to tell them the truth. To tell them the truth in love. This is Truth Currents.